love to hear that song. That he arose. It's a great declaration. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. And here's the point of our message today. As we come to the, the close of this series called Alive, Death Has No Sting. The whole point today is because we can sing today that he arose, one day we will be able to sing that we arose. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us the foundation of what we believe. Now, our teaching today is going to come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you want to open there, go ahead and open there. And, and, and let me explain a little bit what's going on here. There's a great misunderstanding happening here. The Apostle Paul is being misunderstood. You ever heard of a preacher being misunderstood? Well, I've experienced that before. You know, if you, if you preach a bunch about obedience, they'll say you don't believe in grace. If you preach on grace, they'll say you really don't believe in obedience. And the thing about a sermon is you can never say it all in one sermon, all right? And so as we preach here at Landmark a lot about the grace of God, you know, I'll have charges that, you know, you guys don't believe that people need to obey God. And you, you just think anybody can do anything they want to and, and they're okay with God. And you get those kind of charges. Periodically we get a charge about baptism. You know, they, you, just, you just don't believe in baptism there. You don't mention it every Sunday, so therefore you must, you must not really believe in it. I'll never forget a few years ago, I got a phone call from a man in Georgia, and he said, I, I don't know you, but, but I've heard of you, and I, I was in Montgomery uh, yesterday, and I went by this Christian bookstore, and I got in this conversation with this lady, and uh, somehow your name came up, and she started telling me you didn't believe in, in baptism, and, and uh, I just wanted to ask you. And I said, well, yes, I believe that we baptize people all the time, and the Bible's very clear about that, and so I said to him, tell me where this, where this woman is who said this. And he gave me her name and gave me the bookstore she worked at. So immediately I got up from my office, got in my car, and I drove to the bookstore. And I get there, and I, I'm, I'm you know, going to be kind. And so I introduce myself. I say, I'm Buddy Bell. I preach down at Landmark. I got this really unusual phone call from this guy in Georgia today who told me that I didn't believe in baptism. He told me, you said it. And I'm just here to let you know what I believe and let me explain it. Well, I tried to explain what I believed. She would not believe what I said I believed. <laughs> and, and so finally, after about 30 minutes, I gave up, you know. She knew more about what I believed than I knew about what I believed, all right? She was an amazing woman, all right? So I, I just backed off. We all have those misunderstandings. No matter how clearly you say something, it can be misunderstood. Now guess what? The Apostle Paul is in that company. The Apostle Paul has been preaching a lot about the second coming of Jesus. And he's got people so worked up and so pumped up about the second coming of Jesus that they literally believe he's coming any moment. And they're not prepared for people to die. And, and so all of a sudden when the church starts having some deaths and they're having funerals, they don't know what's going to happen to dead people. Because they didn't anticipate any of this happening. They're so pumped up about the second coming. And so Paul has the right to correct this misunderstanding. And I love the passage we're going to look at today. This is my very favorite passage to read at a graveside. 
Because you're standing there beside a casket with the deceased body, with a hole beneath it, with the pallbearer standing behind and the family in front of you who's heartbroken, looking across a place of gravestones that looks like absolute defeat. And just like those people wondered what's going to happen, often we stand in that place and we wonder what's going to happen. And that's why we need these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I hope we can do that today. So let's talk just a moment about when Christians face death. And and you see, what, what I see here, Paul makes five very clear declarations about how we face death. Number one is, we know, all right? We know what's going to happen. That's why Paul's writing this. I I don't want you to be uninformed. We want you to know what's going to happen to believers who have died. We talked last week in our Easter service about living in a world without windows and how modern cultures found itself there, that we don't know what's going to happen, so we try to avoid the topic of death. Christians live in a world with windows. We do know what's going to happen. Now, let's get a little bit more detailed about this. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15 just for a moment, where where Paul tries to describe a little bit about the resurrection body. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it body as he's determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. Now, what, what, what is Paul saying there? He's saying when the body dies and you put it in the ground, it's like a seed. And what's going to come forth will come from that seed, yes. It'll be related to that seed. It'll be the same person, but it will be different. And if you skip down a little further, verse 42, he says this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in the natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. So what's Paul wanting us to know? He's wanting us to know that those who are dead and who've been buried, it's like planting a seed. It's going to come forth, 
and this can come forth much better than it ever was before. The body's sort of mysterious. I don't really, I can't really explain it. I mean, it is your body, but it's spiritual. I mean, maybe it's sort of like the body of Jesus after he resurrected. I mean, Jesus could eat, you could touch him. He could also walk through walls. Sometimes people recognized him, sometimes they didn't recognize him. It was a different kind of body. And that's what we're going to be given. Now, the question people have been asking me the last few weeks is, well, well what happens between when my loved one dies and, and the resurrection? Well, there seems to be a sense in what Paul says that you immediately go to be with the Lord. Philippians 1.23, you know, I would rather, Paul says, depart and be with the Lord. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, when you're out of the body, you're with the Lord. So how you put that together with the future resurrection, I don't know. The only way I think you can put that together is to understand that God in eternity is timeless. He's not bound by time. So we know that our loved ones are with the Lord. So that's the first point. Second point, second declaration is we believe. You see, the reason we can know this is that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. Can you remember this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20? But the truth is Christ has been raised, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Did you hear that? You see, see Jesus is the, he's the first of many. You see, because he resurrected We know it can happen. You know what I'm saying? When something happens that's unusual, we like to hold on to it. Reading a few years ago about an election in Ohio where a man won his seat by one vote. You think politicians have used that to get out the vote? You know it can happen. It could happen. It could come down to one vote for someone to win. Just a few months ago, we saw a football team win a game with one second on the clock, right? Bad memories for some of us. But you don't think some coaches are going to use that from here on? Is man, you don't ever give. If there's just one second, it's still possible. Now, those are just human things. Guys, we know that one resurrected from the dead, so all can resurrect. And this is not a hit or miss thing because this is a promise from God that the same power that resurrected Jesus' body alive will resurrect us. And that's where our hope lies. Now, we've been listening over the last few weeks to some of our members who've lost loved ones. And today we're going to do that a little bit again. I want you to listen to Jay and Kim Northington as they talk about the hope the resurrection gave them in the midst of losing their daughter, Jordan. Well, see, the death, Jesus told them that everything that was going to happen, but they still didn't believe him. You know, he had to come back and show everybody who he was and then ascend to heaven uh, to prove to us that he keeps his promises. I love what Jay says there. The resurrection of Jesus proved that God keeps his promises. You think a family like that doesn't hold on to that with everything they've got? 
Then listen to Melinda Hobson, who talks about the loss of her husband, Craig, and the hope she has because of the resurrection. Well, I, I get real excited about it because I know that um, it's real and that Jesus, when he returned, um, it rose from the grave and, and returned to his disciples. Um, they ate and drank together. They, um, he was a physical being, even though we don't understand that. Um, somehow God has a way of restoring everything. So I know that I'm going to see Craig in his um, most healthy state. And I know that um, even though this life here on earth was short, we had lots of good days, lots of bad days, I know that for Craig, the day he died was the very best day of his life. And I, I know that without a shadow of a doubt, and that's the thing that gives me the most peace. If I thought... If I didn't think the resurrection um, was real, if I didn't think Jesus was really alive and waiting and ready for us, I don't think I could get through the day. Mm. I really don't. I don't think you can say it any better than that, can you? How would we make it if we didn't know about the resurrection of Jesus? But because of it, I love what Melinda said. Craig's passing was the best day of his life. He went to be with the Lord. And that brings us to our third declaration is we can encourage. This is what's sort of fascinating about this passage is when Paul concludes this, he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. We don't normally think of the second coming as being the most encouraging words. In fact, if we announce that, you know, one Sunday soon we're preaching on the second coming, we think of fear. We don't think of encouragement. I can remember one of my first sermons was on the second coming. I was a freshman at Alabama, and they asked me to preach in the old university church building one Sunday night. If you'd ever been in that building, it had stained glass walls on each side about 20 feet high. And at night, it wasn't lit real well, but I was preaching this sermon. I read this track. It was called, When the Books Were Opened. It was a scary track. And uh, so I'm preaching. In the middle of the sermon, there's a storm, and there's lightning. You can see it outside these windows, and all the lights in the auditorium go out. Thank God I really knew the sermon, all right? And I was able to finish just preaching it, man. And it was a scary thing about, you know, the resurrection, now excuse me, about the second coming of Jesus. And, and honestly, I'm thinking about there, man, I, I was trying to scare the hell out of some people, you know what I'm saying, by the resurrection, by the, by the second coming of Jesus. I mean, that, that's the purpose of a second coming sermon, at least I thought. But Paul said, buddy, you're wrong there. The purpose of a second coming sermon for Christians is to comfort. Here I am preaching on Sunday night to the faithful, and I'm trying to scare them about the second coming. Paul says what you ought to be doing is encouraging them, guys. The best news that you and I could hear today is that Jesus is coming back at 2 o'clock this afternoon. It'd be awesome. And we encourage each other with those words. And then now, let's, let's make it plain, though. Number four, we grieve. Oh, yes, we know and we believe and, and we encourage each other. But Paul had said back in verse 13... So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Do not misunderstand this message. I am not saying, I don't think Paul is saying that we don't grieve. That's not what he says if you read closely. What he says is we don't grieve like people who don't know God. 
Christians grieve. Christians suffer. The loneliness is so difficult. And sometimes as Christians, we try to be tried in these moments. And, and frankly, we say the wrong things. You know, you, you don't need to be crying. We know she's in a better place. You, you, don't, you don't need to be this upset. We know. Oh, yeah, those things are true. But that doesn't mean that we don't grieve. The truth is we grieve with hope, not without hope. And it makes it very different. Does it make it easy? Absolutely not. Does it make it get over quick? Ask the people in this room who've lost loved ones the last few years. But it's different. I want to show you a clip from the Northingtons again. And here they're talking about Jordan's faith and how it helped them grieve with hope even through her death. Watch this. It's amazing. Early age, she learned the Bible and she lived it. She lived it. And that, uh, that also put an impression on us. She told me when she was first diagnosed, she looked at me because we were all upset. You know, didn't know what was going to happen. And she looked at me and she said, if you'll be strong, I'll be strong. So those words carry Jay and I, all of us really, through our whole journey, her whole, this whole journey. But her last, one of her last words to me before she passed away was, I'm ready if he's ready. She said she couldn't, she couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, do you know what that means? And she said, uh, if God's ready, I'm ready. Wow. There's grief there, but there's hope. If God's ready, a young girl can say, I'm ready. That's what we have as Christians. Oh, yeah, we grieve. It's not easy. It's not easy today, but it's different than if we had to face that without the hope of the resurrection. And that brings us to the last last point today, and that point is that we win. Paul says to these people who are so afraid of their loved ones that one day you're going to be reunited with them, and so we will be with the Lord forever. See, the point is, because of the resurrection of Jesus and our hope, we win. The worst thing that can happen to us can be the best thing that can happen to us. No one puts this any better than Belinda. I want you to listen to Belinda one more time. Although this life is not a game. It's a, it's a real, the real deal. I know that, um, you know, if you don't know Jesus... You're in a win-lose situation. You know, if you, if you live, you win. But if you die, you've lost. And I know that for us who believe in Christ, it's always a win-win. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it gets here in this life, we got to win on the other side. And it's just a matter of um, letting God empower us to do what he wants us to do today. 
And if we live, we win. And if we die, we win. And I'm excited about that. Let me ask you this question. Are you in a win-win situation? So I, I like the way Melinda put it. If you don't know the Lord, you're in a win-lose situation. If you do know the Lord, if, if he lets you keep living, you, you win. If, if he takes you on, you, you win. And so, so I ask you today, are you in that win-win situation? I want you to think about that. Is your life right with God? Can you approach what we would look at humanly as the very worst with extreme confidence? Can you approach it even believing that that could be the best day of your life, not the worst day of your life? And the truth is, if you've got your faith in Jesus Christ, you can embrace it that way. You see, guys, in the history of Christianity, Christians have embraced the idea of death. We sing about the second coming. We sing about the coming of the Lord. We sing... You know, that's only changed in Western affluent society where, where we don't focus on those things anymore. You go visit our mission points in Africa where they're living in abject poverty. And I'm going to tell you, they're going to talk about death. They're going to sing about death. They're going to embrace the second coming of Jesus because they know this life is not where it is. Our problem, let's just be really honest. Our problem is we're trying to create a heaven on this earth that makes us sometimes not really yearn for what we ought to yearn for. You understand what I'm saying? What I love about this message is, my friends, we, as believers, are in a win-win situation. And today, if you're not in a win-win situation, let me ask you, in a few moments, we'll sing an invitation song. Why don't you do something about it today? If you've never come to Christ, you could come to Christ today. If you've come to Christ, but you've lost your faith and walked away from him, and no longer is he first in your life, And and you know deep down there's something wrong. And this whole concept, this whole message series on death and resurrections made you very uncomfortable because you're not ready. Before we do that, I want to play one more clip. And this is from a movie many of you may have watched. Actually, it wasn't in the movie. This was a clip that was cut. I don't know how many watched the Mel Gibson movie, came out in 2002, called We Are Soldiers. It was about our first forays into Vietnam. In 1965, we sent a group of soldiers in the middle of the jungle of Vietnam, thinking we were going to rescue a few Americans that were there. But when they got there, there were 4,000 Viet Cong. And it was an awful, awful battle, and we lost a lot of lives. And that's what the movie We Are Soldiers is about. But here's the clip they cut. Probably the best clip ever been cut. It's of a woman who lost her husband in that raid, a young mother who seeks to sing in the middle of her grief. That's what we're talking about today, is the ability to sing in the middle of grief. I want you to watch this. You see, that's what Paul is trying to say. We grieve, but in the middle of grief, we can sing. In the middle of the worst that life throws at us, death. Death has lost its sting because we build our life on solid ground. I love that song. My hope 
is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but lowly lean on Jesus' name. Because here's the way we're going to build our lives. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Today, as we prepare to sing that song, let me ask you, are you building your life on the rock or are you building your life on sinking sand? Because one day, as Jesus said, the storm will come and even death will come and you'll find out whether you build it on the rock or whether you build it on sinking sand. Too many of us are building our life on our own success, our own achievements, our ability to make money, our ability to play sports, our ability to take care of each other. We're building all kinds of things except the thing that really is going to withstand the storm, which is the solid rock of Christ. So as we sing, can you sing with confidence? Can you sing truthfully that's on Christ the solid rock you stand? If you can, I don't care what you're facing. Oh, there may be grief and tears and sadness. You can sing. You can sing through it. But today, if your life's not there, why don't you, before you walk out of this place, get it there? If you're in the middle of grief that's overwhelming and you need us to pray for you, if you're in the middle of a life built on sinking sand and you know you're not ready if Jesus were to come back at 2 o'clock this afternoon, then why don't you get ready right now? Let's all stand together and sing.